Welcome back to Stories After Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I will be joined by Julian Darius. Now we're getting to the very far end of our journey. We're now getting into Season 11. Season 10, Series 10, I should say, was a little bit uneven, a bit wonky, didn't light our fire. But yet we're going to jump into Series 11 now. Is it a better, is it a step up? And we're going to love it. You'll now find out as I hand over to me and Julian. And it would take another four years before we would get another series. So it took you know 2016. So we've got another four years of, of um, inter-season stories, whatever that happened between these stories, before we get series series eleven. And again, we get a sort of a quite, to me at least, a bit of a mixed bag of episodes. Um. But before I say, I'll ask you. But what what are your thoughts? What are your take? Because this is the this is the first time you've seen this series. Isn't it? So series mm-hmm. eleven. This is the first time you've seen this. So before I sort of comment, what what are your thoughts, or what were your thoughts of watching series eleven? Um, I think that overall, I would say something very similar to ten. I would say there is repetition. Um, mm-hmm. There are episodes that I think are, you know, I mean, I see what they're doing that's different but there's a lot of repetition. I don't know that I hate any episode. I mean, they're, you know, sort of mixed bag. However, I think I like 11 a lot better than 10. Um, and, you know, as we get to it, there are at least, uh, uh, you know, a couple episodes that I really love um, mm-hmm. that was not true of the previous season. Um you know, and, and, you know, so that makes it much more successful for me. And, and even like the, like the finale focused on cat. Um, mm. I, I don't think it's a great episode, but I kind of admire that. Um, but I think that, you know, give and take with the, the droids in the kidney, I kind of love mm-hmm. and crisis with, with Crichton, the fifth yes. episode, I, I just adore. Yes. What are your thoughts on uh, eleven? No, I I agree totally. I think the thing is, I say where we sort of said, and this I'm glad you said this because where I felt the repetition in series ten, but felt that they weren't hitting the mark or doing anything too different. Um, I feel with this, like there's a lot of repetition. Like I could name, you know, in fact they even bloody quote it. I mean, they talk of like Samsara. Mm-hmm. Um, they mention mm-hmm. the justice field. Like they they right. literally tell you, we're talking about series four now. But the, <laughs> but, but the things they do in this series are better, not or, or at least more interesting, and they feel fresher. Um, mm-hmm. And so it feels like a better series to me. Um, you know, I mean, Officer Rimmer very much <clears throat> ends up almost being a sort of. Um, 
a me squared kind of you know pastiche and the or rimmer world pastiche it's, it's that right. thing again yeah. um you know um samsara is obviously the, you know you get that sort of thing of the justice field and lots of other stuff but and uh twentica that you know they've been back in time and done this thing plenty of times but i'm actually this, yeah this feels more akin to what has come before in a much much better way um, and I'm feeling that spark more in this series, and I definitely did in series ten. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree with that, and you know, and I think that, like, you know, even even Crisis is sort of, um, well, that's the Ace Rimmer for Crichton. Um, mm. It's it's just you know introducing Ace Rimmer, but it works, and and I think that yeah, I mean, I I am not in love with Twentica or Samsara. Um, you know, or some of the others, but there's certainly solid episodes and, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're doing, there's something in them that, you know, I'll like, um, mm. you know, that I'll think, yeah, okay. I don't know. I mean, ultimately we're talking about an average and, and for me, I think that I can forgive one of the things that I found and, and we've talked about sort of like different ways of measuring um, how we feel about a movie or a season mm. i i tend to be very moved by the height and i can kind of forgive you know a lot of ineptitude you know or stuff that is repeating or episodes that i think are kind of lackluster like they're okay if there's something that i think wow that's great and yeah and i kind of feel that way about uh you know it, it you know about crisis and to a lesser extent about give and take. Mm. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, to go through them, um, I each, each I'd say every single one of these episodes has at least got an element I really enjoy, which I couldn't say about series ten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it could just be a silly joke or there's something in it, but there's something that stands out. I mean, Twentica. I mean, Twentica is that sort of like, you know, we, we've, we've talked about how this is, how Red Dwarf is Star Trek. You know, this is that mm-hmm. sort of silly thing of, of the crew, whether it be Kirk or Picard or whatever, going back to 20th century, um, 20th century Earth and having to dress as gangsters or, or whatever. Um, but I, I like some of the stuff in this. Like, you know, it's again, the reasoning behind it is... If anything, it's it's basically isn't this isn't this Star Trek Insurrection? I think it's Star Trek First Contact, right? Like, First Contact. Like, there you go. Yeah, they're totally yeah. the Borg. They even have Borg names, yeah. like you know, three of sixty three. Yeah, I was yeah, I was so watching this and thinking like, this is a total rip on Star Trek. Like if ever, oh yeah, if, if you know, if Patrick Stewart was feeling this in nineteen eighty nine, like you know, he should really be feeling it now. Um, but I love the I, I love the joke of the some of the things like there's one joke where you got the lead the lead uh, Borg let's call him that and he says like he says you know I'm I'm not I'm not that you know don't consider me to be three of sixty three um, you know to really sort of like denigrate from it mm-hmm. and then later in the episode he's there with three of sixty three so and they're like ah <laughs> oh, he was really slagging you off before and he's like he's like no ignore them don't talk to them he's like, no 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 no. I want to hear this. Is like, well, you know, we were going through a bad patch at the time, and, and like, I that that to me, it's silly, but it's sort of, um, I kind of like. It. I like the actor as well, um, who plays the the uh, the sort of the, the replicant uh, or whatever it is. 
Uh, I'm going to name check him because he he is um, he's one of these actors that sort of is a British comedian, a uh, British comedy actor, sort of pops up in lots of things. Uh, um, I'm going to find him. Here we go, uh, Kevin Eldon, and he's just got such a great voice, and he can, he can play creepy so well. He's been in some things, and I always enjoy him when I see him in things. Um, I don't know if you've seen. Um, um, what came after? Oh, I'm thinking, uh, Shaun of the Dead and mm. uh, what was the cop one? Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Um, he's in. He's in Hot Fuzz, and he's great in that. So he's he's always good. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like the the, the Borg in this, um, and also the sort of the the daftness of because um, obviously it's 20th century America. They tried to go about that when they're trying to get into the sort of the the speakeasy. Mm-hmm. And and Rimmer sort of like saying, well, they they really like the British accent, and especially when you <laughs> use the word whom and just start sort of spouting this terrible sort of English accent and stuff. It's like that stuff's all really good. Um, like you know, so yeah, I I like the fact it's a pastiche of of uh, Star Trek First Contract uh, Contact, and I'm liking some of the characters. So um, you know, to me, this is a much stronger yeah. opening episode than Trojan was, in the fact that this feels a bit more. Uh, irreverent and and sort of, you know, sort of silly uh, in the in the vein of sort of probably series four and five, you know, were. What are your yeah, thoughts I think, on, on? I think that's insightful. 20... I don't. I don't know that I like it. Uh, you know, uh, better than the opener of ten. Um, you know, I don't know. I, you know, there, there's stuff that I do like. I do like the sort of like riff on. Uh, Star Trek First Contact. I mean, I like the Borg stuff with their names. Um, I like how conscious it is of the fact that it's repeating itself and ripping off uh, this other stuff. Um, Mm. By far, the funniest moment for me is Crichton saying, you know, yes, the Sims are so ruthless, they'll stoop to the most hackneyed of cliches. Oh, yes. (laughs) You know, the show is just total. I mean, at this point, they're so conscious of influence and repetition that mm-hmm. uh that it becomes you know it's like well how dare those sims use this technique stoop to this technique we've all seen this before and they should know it there's almost this kind of like winking at the at the viewer uh in a way that i really like there yeah because yeah, even when they do come back when they travel back in time there is that moment of um um. Uh, what is it? We sort of does he? He says, you know, ah, so we meet again. And he's like, you really don't mind, but you know, a cliche, do you? Yeah, uh, right. So they do. Ha- they ha- they hammer that home quite a bit, which I, I do find funny. Um. So yeah, now you know, again, they've got this idea of the speakeasy not being, you know, the fact it's sort of it's looking at science and because yeah. when they go back in time, they sort of they're trying to eradicate technology. Um. So the speakeasy is all about um. You know, when they're there, they can talk science and do experiments and this other stuff. And the actress who plays um, the sort of, you know, the flapper, whatever you call it, the, her little monologue she does, it's, she, it's really quite impressive um, to get through some of that dialogue in, in the way she does. Um, you know, so all of it, it's all a bit silly. It's all very sort of, you know, I can again, you can think of every other time that they've gone back to Earth in some mm-hmm. way. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, I find it fun. I mean, again, there's, there's, there are there are other things of is this actually Earth's, as in Lister's Earth's history? Because if yeah. it is, that means that at some point in the twenties they were taken over by robots and um, a, a massive EMP pulse took them out and returned them back to the Stone Age sort of thing. So, yeah, I was confused by that. I mean, you know, so do they? I mean, so remember, there's that. What is the episode where they where they get the dimension jump? Uh, you know, the holly hop drive, and they say, "Oh yeah, we're still yeah. out." You know, three million years uh, from Earth. Yeah. The, you know, there's like a planet that they're getting near, and then the the Borg substitutes, uh, you know, uh, are go back in time, and and they sort of ride the time wave back. Earth's not there. So no. what planet is this? We're it's supposed a, to I think believe it's, a, it's Earth, but yeah, right. I don't know. It's very that is strange. Because the other thing is, they don't follow, even because they sort of tr- follow the time wave back. Um, because they end up crash landing and stuff, they um, um, they end up sort of being several years later. They they lost mm-hmm. some time. So the so the Borg have been there for a couple of years. You know, the, you, when you get there, you find that sort of time has changed. So surely that should have had a fundamental difference on time. It's again, it's sort of getting to that thing of, you know. Even within this series, they will hit hit on time travel a couple of times, and I got some. When we get to give and take, I got some questions. Um, but it's a, it's a fun episode. But like I say, when they leave, and you see sort of this, because the other thing as well, they don't. You see them flying off into mm-hmm. space. I can't remember the end. But do they go back through time? Yeah. They, they, well, they they say they're going to use that that Kronos machine. That they right. stole from, Return. you know, yeah. the, the guy's wearing as if it's a, you know, uh, hip hop medallion or something. That's um, right. Yeah, I don't but know. But if I they mean... can travel in time, why not just travel? To, why don't they? Just, why doesn't Lister? Because <laughs> Earth, why right. doesn't he just travel forward to the moment he leaves Earth on Red Dwarf and say, oh, "Actually, I can continue my life on Earth in the future." Yes, very good um, point. Also, like, remember the Hollyhop Drive, like, um, right yeah, now, and. and the the whole like uh, fighting your future selves who have been corrupted by time, you know. I mean, now they have a working time machine. Not going to be mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff seems to be sort of stocking up. So they've still got a matter paddle somewhere. They've got now got a time <laughs> chronos drive. They've got you know, it's all in whatever's cat's happening quarters. to it. Cats just you know. <laughs> yeah, this it is all mine and that is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I that kind of thing. I nitpick this episode. That kind of thing, like it bothers me in this episode. And I agree with you that it has more soul than mm. uh, you know most of those uh, season ten episodes. You've convinced me of that. But there's this little stuff that bothers me: the time travel thing. How is this Earth when they're out there? That bothers mm. me. Then they land in a desert. And then they're suddenly yeah. in the city. Where was that desert? Okay. I don't yeah. know. Um, you know, then uh, they watch a man get gunned down and, you know, he's got a business card that leads them to the speakeasy. The cops are, you know, the, the Borg uh, controlled cops are machine gunning people in the streets. Yet they leave this person on the sidewalk to talk with them without yeah. any interruption. And, and- Usually, you know, I mean, that's a cliche, but usually you would see 
you know, the officers run away in in a semi-convincing way, you know, so you can elide it. Here, mm. there's nothing of that. I mean, at every step of the way, there's there's something like that that kind of pulls me out of it a little. I, I agree with that. And I think this is where, you know, I'll be honest, on this rewatch of the show, um, all the way through, especially when they do these sort of time travel episodes, I, I get, and I'm, you know, I don't want to use it as, a, as a, an excuse or a defense, but I get that this is a sitcom. This is a half hour sitcom. But this, I honestly, honestly think that this, I mean, I love Red Dwarf. We both, we've talked about that, but I still think this show could be better if it maintained a continuity and a fixed um, way of, you know, things happening, much like Star Trek. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. there's probably some flexibility in that, but the fact that we can nitpick these things and we should nitpick these things and point them out, um, you know, sometimes irks me a little bit when I'm like, look, if you just, if you just maintain certain in universe rules, you know, I would be a lot happier. And maybe that's just sort of like that sort of like OCD nerd dumb that I've got. <laughs> I don't know, but I think if they were to, to stick to their own rules, I think this, this whole thing would even be even better. Um, and would probably be considered like, you know, uh, it would elevate it, I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, it would have a much wider audience, I think, and appreciation. Oh, I agree, and I think that you know the other thing about that. I mean, absolutely, and and I, I keep talking about how I love the sci-fi ness of the show. I love mm. this brilliant sci-fi plots, and yeah, not every plot needs to be a brilliant take on sci-fi, but the fact that it is a good science fiction show along with a good comedy is important to me. And mm. and I think that you're completely right. And there have been many episodes that we've talked about where you have said, well, they didn't need to do this. Why don't they mm. just do it this way and where you solve the problem in a, in a very elegant way? And I think that shows that they could, you know, th- there's nothing that's really being gained in most of these episodes by you know, not explaining something or, or not taking a sentence to say, you know, oh yeah, we're moving to another location or, you know, we just left earth, uh, you know, conquered by, uh, the Borg for, uh, the middle of the 20th century. I I think the problem comes from almost like the approach to this show. Um, they have, and I'll use, I've used the reference before. they have almost like a Simpsons approach to this. And the way this, the reason that the Simpsons can work is because the characters are animated; they never age. You can you can access an episode and you can leave, and you can you can jump ahead two seasons and you can watch it, and it's exactly the same. You know, the animation might be slightly different, but that's it. Um, and there's a reason for that; it's because that's how animated shows work. They can literally go for thirty years, like the Simpsons do, or you know, almost twenty years, like Family Guy or whatever. And you can maintain that status quo. It's very, very, you know, it's very rare in the history of The Simpsons. They will bother, you know, they will matter and, and change the status quo. Um, the problem with this show is they want to sort of do that, you know, where it's sort of like, you know, every episode is an accessible episode. You can come in, and you, you know, you know the setup and you can move on and whatever. However, they also they also want to acknowledge the aging cast, right. And, and so it's like, well, if you're going to do that and you're going to make these changes, then you've got to start changing people. I think 
Although mm-hmm. we sort of derided some of the stuff they did in sort of series seven and, and you know, the sort of the, they fixed, I think in series eight to, to a great extent is they sort of acknowledged it. You know what? These guys have been trapped in space for years and we need to sort of either shake things up or show some growth. You know, granted it was pushed by Chris Barry wanting to leave the show at least, or at least do something different at series seven, but mm-hmm. him becoming Ace Rimmer, like, you know, I was able maybe sort of stretching things a bit, but I was able to show that growth of that character to some extent through sort of series six into series seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done it, you know, they did other things, but then they sort of knock it on the head and go, no, no, we're back to the Simpsons again. And every episode is going to be the same thing. And it sort of works for the first four or five series. And then you sort of, right. you've got to acknowledge that, all right, we've got to change things up and we're going to now introduce Kachansky and da da da. I, I just feel they want their cake and eat it a little bit. And, you know, uh, yeah, you, you said we both like, you agree. know, we both say how much we like crisis, but uh, it, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the other thing is, I mean, so you're essentially talking about, you know, the sort of like sitcom status quo, right. Which, mm-hmm. you know, the Simpsons can, you know, kill off a character's wife, but it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, you're not going to be disturbed by continuity, um, you know, and essentially Family Guy and other shows can do that, too. I mean, but, you know, the, in addition to the need to change things up, one of the things that I note is that especially since about uh, season five, maybe season six, the amount of continuity references is greater and greater. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting like, I mean, we, we get Polymorph 3, essentially, mm-hmm. this season. Well, you know, yes, th- you don't have to have seen that stuff, but the whole feeding on emotion is barely referenced, and yet it's yeah. really important to the plot. So if you haven't seen the original, you're kind of lost. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going into Samsara, Samsara, you know, says, oh, it's a reverse justice. That's pretty, you know, I mean, they're all, that's pretty important. I mean, there are all these references to earlier things and earlier adventures that maybe you could ignore, but I'm not so convinced. I mean, if you don't know the despair squid, are you going to really get the end of Back to Earth? Um mm. So, I mean, you're right that there's a kind of return to status quo, but they also want to have more continuity and more, and at least more referentiality. And so, you know, it seems to me that, you know, in addition to, you know, that's another part of uh, how they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I'm not sure that it's, that the key thing is letting characters evolve and necessarily like breaking the structure. Although I think we agree that they proved they could in series eight and that they could make it work. And we're both a fan of trying that. Having said that, I mean, I think that even if you return to the status quo, these changes, the constant changes to characters, you know, Mm -hmm. not referencing the fact that, Oh yeah, we've been back in time before we've been back to earth before Um, the constant changing to characters. I mean, you just can't have an episode that is all about a character learning a lesson and then have him learn the exact opposite lesson, and then learn the yeah. first lesson again, and then learn the first epi- lesson a third time, 
and then learn the opposite lesson a second time, at some point that's, you know, that's going to be less satisfactory. As, as we talk about it, it strikes me that th- this show, you know, uh, going to Dave, could have learned something from uh, the success of new Doctor Who. Um, and this may be controversial, but, you know, we've gone through this thing of, um, you know, the status quo, the sort of, uh, let's call them the monster of the week episodes or the sort of the sci-fi gimmick of the week episode or whatever. And then you get the sort of the continuity episodes. I say that sort of seven, six a little bit, but seven and eight, to varying degrees of success, definitely introduce a, a, a level of continuity and consequence that um, I find I find more interesting. Um, and then I think you know if you look at sort of like you know old Doctor Who, I I, I, you know, I, I enjoy some classic Doctor Who, but the episodes are very much of a piece. You know, you, you have a story, and then they'll have the next adventure, and the next adventure, and then they'll have the regeneration when the Doctor wants to leave, or whatever. New Who wants to keep that continuity. Like you know, you you can look now at um, Jodie Whittaker, and you can sort of trace things back to David Tennant or whatever. And I think that's great. I think this would have been an opportunity on a much smaller scale if they'd have said, "Yeah, you got six episodes. Right, we are going to have in some way. We are going to do six episodes. Here's the stuff we want to do. Bam, 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 bam. Here's the jokes we want to tell or the stories we want to tell. But I'm going to do an overarching thing." You know, we've got an opportunity to do something different here to try it to be a bit more experimental again. Let's try this thing, and I think it would have been it'd have had much more impact, and I think it would have probably been much more successful because you could have had consistent characters and a stronger sort of um, umph to the show. Uh, I, I just think it would have been it was an op- again a, a missed opportunity. This this feels like an eighties sitcom, and that, that's no detriment because I love eighties sitcoms, but <laughs> it feels like an eighties sitcom being produced in a world that has changed. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, because I don't think about how different the world of television was when these seasons were, you know, airing versus the original. Mm. Um, I mean, this is, this is, we're post Battlestar Galactica with its continuing narrative, which was very influential on the new Doctor Who um, in, in terms of structure, not, not talking directly. Mm. Um but you know, I mean, it seems to me that the the way in which seven and eight were kind of looked down upon by fans has got to be mm. key here. That you know, having been off the air for ten years, the idea is well, we sort of went off in this other direction. We need a return to form. Um. If, if the show had been canceled at the end of, say, you know, season season six or season five, if you had a 10-year gap after that, maybe then they would have come back and, and made some of these alterations and, and done a sort of continuing narrative. But it seems to me that, well, they did that in, in eight, essentially. Yeah, uh... Maybe you know if we'd stayed with the BBC, they'd have pushed for that, and they'd have probably, you know, tried something different. I mean, you know, there's a lot gone on. The the, the whole crew are still technically the whole crew are still out there in the in the universe somewhere. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I understand why Dave have played it safe, why UK TV's played it safe, why they've gone for this format. Um, it's just that, I don't know, there just seems to be, it's it's good. I don't think we'll go through the rest of the episodes. I enjoy some of these episodes a great deal. Um, but, I don't know, it just feels like it's lacking something. It feels a bit inconsistent and a bit sort of scattershot at times that I find sort of a little bit, um, it it just irks me, as I've said, it vexes me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just that nerddom gets sort of is it, it, unsatisfied. Well, uh, what do you think of Samsara, the second episode? I I do like Samsara, and again, I think this comes to um, you know, I like the fact it references the Justice Field because it's blatantly obvious that's sort of what it is. It's, an, it's you know another sort of use of that technology um but again i like this a bit like with the when we talked about uh, the beginning uh, the end of the last series you get to see life on a, on a ship you know you get to see an active crew um before it all goes pear-shaped and a relationship of, of two other people um you know so this idea that they go onto this ship and you know, they scatter with bodies and all this other stuff, and they've all seem to have died in a, in a horrible way or during, you know, um, <laughs> some sort of sex act. is is really funny, and yeah. I, I like some of the ideas of it. But I, I actually really like the idea of how it got there. Like, you get to see why. It's not just, you know, in the past we've sort of seen similar things, haven't we? We've gone to ships and found some sort of disfigured skeleton or some other mess up, and Crichton has basically... Um, spouted some exposition as to why it's likely to have happened. But with this, you get to see the reasons mm-hmm. um, and the consequences of that. And mm-hmm. I kind of like that. That, that to me, I enjoy. Yeah, you're talking about that the flashbacks are actually shown throughout the episode. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jim Green and uh, Professor Rachel you know, Barker. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I like that. I, I, you know, I think it's a... The, the skeletons in sexual positions is pretty funny. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I like that too. I don't know that it's a very satisfying episode. Um, I, I think what I mostly like it for is the uh, sheer bitterness of the overall message that because mm-hmm. of this alteration to the justice field, uh, love is what killed everyone. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you know, you're only able to escape if you're unethical. Um, I think that seems very right up uh, Red Dwarf's alley. I, I like, yeah, because I like the fact as well that there is a real um, when you it's sort of shown at the very end, but the real pisser from the very beginning is the fact that they find there's an escape pod with two individuals. These two individuals that you sort of see the flashbacks about, um, and they communicate with them. They actually talk with them. And then when they uncover them from the ship, they have been turned to dust, much like the original Red Dwarf crew. And then when you find out why it is a real, you say it feels like a real Red Dwarf moment, is they have inverted this justice field. So as you say, sort of instead of um, moral acts being praised and unethical acts being punished, they've reversed it. So unethical acts now become uh, praised and uh, rewarded and moral acts become punished. Um, so they escape. That you know, they leave everybody behind and they escape, um, which actually is an immoral act. So they actually do survive and they get re- rewarded with that inst- to be maintained in status. 
But when they come out of stasis to warn the Red Dwarf crew of not going mm-hmm. on there, they are fried alive. <laughs> yeah, um, I quite like that. Yeah, and I, I do like that. And I, I like it more because you've seen what sort of led to it. Um, you know, because again, yeah. it's sort of you, you find out that the relationship they're having is illicit. They are both married, that you know, it's an affair that they are having. Um, that's what and, makes and sex so it's good, sort of, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> this, this, it's, it's interesting of how they sort of get to this point of sort of like, you know, um, you know, this relationship they are having, it's it's clearly not the first time, you know, they've met, they've met before. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it's arranged like she's had a transfer to get there. And, um, you know, it, it, it feels like there's sort of this, when I go about this, this thing of consequence, that's where I kind of like this episode. Cause you do get to see that this sort of thing, like, you know, when they do start meeting up, you know, um, at one point, like her hair is an absolute mess, and she's like, "I went mm-hmm. to the salon, and this is what's happened." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, I went to the dentist, and I've lost a tooth." Like, you know, <laughs> and then and they can't ingest the food because it's that vile. Um, and so she's like, "Well, look, look, I'm a computer scientist. Like, I could just just for one night, like, I could reverse it." Um, and you don't get to see the debauchery, like you know, they don't go that far. But it's sort of suggested when you see all the skeletons. I, I, I kind of like that sort of like that downward spiral of like what happened um, and why. Um, no, I, I and as you say, you. I, I like seeing that. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, there's, there's a funny comment because again, you say you know you say about the continuity and the references and things and paying off. You're right about this idea in Samsara of like you know it's love that um, li- you know love or lust. I suppose. It, it, that sort of leads to this ship's destruction and all these deaths. But when you actually get to crisis uh, later on and, and uh, the crew, you know, Crichton and the crew actually get to communicate with the universe as an entity, <laughs> which is a concept we'll get onto. And Crichton actually says into the, in that thing, well, you know, you have created love uh, and we know that's a, a positive thing. And I'm thinking back to, yeah. you do, you, you go back to Samsara and you're like, well, well again, not always, <laughs> but um yeah, I I do like this episode. I, I do like some of the payoffs. I like some of the funny bits as well. Uh, between, you know, it's it's silly stuff like the stuff between Lister and the cat. Um, some some funny silly mm. jokes in there. No, I think I think the Lister cat stuff is good. I mean, I I guess that I I feel like it's another variation for a lot of the episode on the sort of like luck field thing that we've seen mm. a bunch of times, where you know. Um, you know, obviously, there's this this whole thing with uh, uh, future monopoly and rolling the dice, you know, and then there's literally gambling, and um, so I mean, it's it's clear that that kind of thing is going on, um, you know. And then I sort of think, like, you know, I agree the flashbacks are good. I mean, I like this overall misanthropic uh, point, um, but uh, you know, then I wonder, like. It's a nice callback to have piles of ash, but then why mm. are everyone else skeletons? Yeah, it's true. They're all been flash heated in the same way, <laughs> right? And it, it yeah. uses the term flash heated, and I don't know. I mean, I find myself, you know, I think like, okay, well, it's a clever idea. Surely, she understood what turning this into an injustice field would do, right? Mm. Um, but then I, but then I also think like. I mean, it's I like seeing the sex, the skeletons in sexual position, 
But then I have I have questions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> first of all, um, you know, you see skele- a, a skeleton performing oral sex on another skeleton. It's very funny. But mm-hmm. do you mean to tell me that like crew members said bad luck is affecting me? The only way that we can af- guarantee we will stay alive is if I perform fellatio on you, comma danger, yeah. right? You know, yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's a little strange. And then I'm a little disturbed by the idea that, um, especially because of the skeletons, less so because of the uh, Green and Barker's uh, love affair, the idea that sex is an immorality that is, mm. you know, uh, rewarded by the machine. Well, it's interesting because actually, you know, at one part in the episode, um, Rimmer even points it out. He sort of says, "Well, that how how does that work? Because morality mm. and everything changes from culture to culture and time to time. So, uh, you know, how does this work? Sort of thing." Um, which is, you know, a good point because you know that we've also gone previously. We've also seen a hollow ship, um, you know, in which they have a sex deck where you know to have um open relationships and sort of sexual congress with with lots of people is is part and parcel of a daily exercise routine so not immoral um so yeah so it does it sort of throws both in really um it's interesting i I like the fact that say it it, it does suggest that if you're going to be immoral, you go to your base, isn't it? That's sort of the thing. Cause there's violence in there as well. People have been killed and yeah, it sort of suggests that immor- immorality is more about the, the low, isn't it? The sort of your base um, emotions and base needs. That's where your Im- immorality lies, but that feels like a very Christian, Christian, but a very sort of, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a draconian Christian, you know, feeling, isn't it really? Yeah, I think it's that that um, you know. I think you're right that uh, that speech by um, uh, is it is it Crichton about the how the the field is reprogrammed, uh, mm. or I'm not sure who. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's one of the best elements of it. But yeah, you're right. There's a kind of like almost puritanical sort of overlay to this that I'm not sure that they were. I mean, this is not the kind of show that, you know, is known for Puritanism, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not sure that they were in control over that implication. Um, and, and, and I think that speech kind of gets out of it. But still, you know, it's not like they revisit that and say, like, boy, there are a bunch of, you know, puritanical Christians who programmed this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, again, like you say, if you were on that ship... Um, you know, if you were in the samsara when this was all happening, especially if you're the captain, you must have been trained in this scenario. If there was a malfunction in which the you know the uh, what's it drive um, reverses, you know the morality drive reverses or whatever flips, here's the things to do. Even if it's a sort of you know you can go switch it off. Okay, well how do we do that safely? Well every every four steps just punch someone in the face. You know, or trip someone up, or do something, pour some hot coffee on someone, do whatever, do something horrible to someone, you will get to that drive safely and you can turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that uh, 
you know, if you're going to captain a ship, you have to be trained to like you. You have an assistant there who is, yeah. you know, say somebody who you, um, you know, is like, uh, you know, underage or, or or something terrible, and you have to like kiss them and fondle them all the way to the karma drive yeah. to turn it off. Yeah. You know, there's just like the the <laughs> sexual partner. Oh, we're you know, karma drive has inverted gotta start groping this person you know while we walk to fix it yeah it's you know there, there must have been some protocols to deal with this it, it's you know again we're nitpicking it's it, you know, if if they stopped it we wouldn't have the show but um <laughs> it, it still feels like a thing of sort of like why would you put something on a ship like this if you didn't know how to stop this from happening yeah no and i don't know i mean why why can it be reversed? I mean, I, I, I get that yeah. it can be reprogrammed. I mean, I think that's a good point. I think the relative morality point is well made. But, you know, why would you build a justice field and have a reverse setting? I don't know. Mm. But I don't know. We're nitpicking. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad episode. Um, you know, I No, like... it's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, the it's flashbacks very much... are, are add a lot. It's amazing how much, like those little those little flashbacks, even to to Rimmer's childhood, you know, mm. or, or the Ace Rimmer, you know, the beginning of Smoke Me a Kipper, you know. It's amazing how much just a, a few scenes set outside of the normal characters or outside of the normal time can help uh, an episode. Yes, I agree. It gives it some context and a bit more, a bit more with the characters. And I, I do like that. Um, okay, so we, we've talked about morality and and, uh, and that sort of thing, but uh, let's get to sort of the next. So the next one, actually, we've talked. I forget. We've also talked about time travel as well in this sort of within the first episode, and we're going to get a little bit more of that um, with give and take, um, which. You know, you you've sort of said you know you really enjoyed this episode. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know this is sort of stunned you. So, what what were your thoughts on give and take? Well, I mean, I love the robots. Uh, you know, yeah. Um, th- there are two robots. There's you know Alcepius, who's the um, who's the real doctor robot, and then there's Snacky, the <laughs> snack dispensing robot who is mistaken, yeah. <laughs> who sort of looks like very Robbie the robot, and Crichton defers to him. Basically, everything with those two robots is just a 9 or a 10 for me. Um, Mm. You know, I was telling a friend of mine about this episode, and I said, you know, they uh, encounter Alcepius, and he's a great design, you know, and he threatens them. (laughs) And and he says, like, I see you are apprehensive, you know. (laughs) You think that I'm crazy, you know. Don't worry, I I was, but I've been certified. And he points to the wall where he's written for himself, no longer insane in blood. Um, And, and, you know, Snacky, uh, you know, Snacky listening as a psychiatrist, uh, you know, and, you know, Snacky being brought into the room to perform surgery, complex surgery, (laughs) and and only at that point saying, you know, uh, just, you know, out of curiosity, what do you do when a bunch of people think you're a state-of-the-art medibot? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm in love with Snacky. Uh, uh, And, 
I don't know. I, I think the whole thing with Lister's kidney, I like the resolution of it. I mean, he sort mm. of, he wakes up uh, and uh, he seems to be hung over for quite some time. And then, you know, this Alcepius has taken out his kidneys. So it's quite dramatic. You know, you see him, uh, you know, this villain capture two of our main characters and begin to take their organs out. Uh, yeah. And then there's a shootout, which there have not been a lot of shootouts on Red Dwarf. Um, you know, <coughs> well, I mean, I guess Just, you have the bazookoids, but I mean. Yeah. No, I was going to say, so I, I do agree with this episode. I mean, there's some fantastic touches as well with Snacky. Like the fact they never, <laughs> his name on the back of but they, I love the fact that they make they actually take effort to make sure he enters the room in the right way so that you yeah. never see his back. And, and there's little bits like that that, that are really good. Um, with regard to Asclepius, the, the, sort of the design of the robot, he's a medical droid there to make you feel better, but he is <laughs> designed like some sort of crazed murder bot. Like, it, it, he's terrifying. But it's, it's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great, great design. Um, I agree, and I, I love that the, there is there is two moments in this again, sort of very rimmer centric for me. That is, um, he sort of deals with his own psychosis uh, and neuroses by sort of talking himself around, and, the, and <laughs> say, Snacky Snacky says nothing, and Rimmer comes to this conclusion of how he's got to look inside himself for his own hero and all this other stuff. Um, and then when he confronts, when Snacky sort of acknowledges or admits that he's just a, a dispensing droid uh, for snacks. And Rimmer's sort of like, but you helped me. He's like, no, I didn't. I didn't say anything. <laughs> but Snack, but you taught me to this. And he was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and he keeps having to repeat that. Like, I didn't do anything. You reached that conclusion yourself. Um, it is. It's so funny. It is really well done. Um, and uh, yeah, so the stuff of the robots is is very very good. Um, and you know, say to see because you see the organs as well. In that you see a couple of kids get blown oh, yeah. up in this. <laughs> yeah. One. Let me just let me just because again, let's think about it. The, the solution to this is the same as ticket to ride as well, isn't it? Let's be honest. So this is you know it was curries before it's kidneys now. Um. But let me get this straight. So they go back in time. At the end of this, they use. Uh, a device to go back in time, uh, a, sta- a status thing, so a brand new sort of time travel device, to f- despite the fact they've actually got the Kronos device from the first episode. Um, but they go back in time to the day uh, before they find the space station uh, with the Sclepius net on. They then take Lister's kidneys at that point um to the, you know, and, and give him the K chip, whatever it is, in his blood to act as a dialysis, which is why he feels like crap, why he feels like he's got a hangover. They then go through the scenario, and then when you get back to the future, they install, they put in his kidneys again, so he feels better. So whose kidneys were in the jar that got blown up? Yeah. I think Yeah, I, it yeah. can't be listers. I mean, no, I mean, I like that it's a closed time loop. And I think mm. it is a close time loop. I think mm. that, I think that you know, like obviously, like the reason why he was sick was because his kidneys had been taken out. He was mm. functioning somehow without kidneys, you know, through the whole show. And presumably, we never actually see uh, uh, Alcepius take the uh, kidneys out. You sort of see no. them in a jar. We have to believe those weren't actually his kidneys, and that we. He is taken back to Red Dwarf, 
and he's given a medical examination, they say, well, you know, bad news. The droid took your kidneys because we've now noticed they were missing. Um, yeah. That's, that's how I understood it. I mean, but you're quite right. If those really are his kidneys, it doesn't work, right? Um, no. But then it occurred yeah. to me like, well, you know, of course, if they examine him, they're going to say, your kidneys are missing. Clearly, the droid took them out. But actually, they're like in a jar, you know, in the foreground. Um, yeah. They don't, you know, the jar, the water in the jar isn't filled with blood, you know, like they were just taken out or something. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they, they could be somebody water. else. They could... Yeah, they could have been pickled, and you know it could have been somebody else's and stuff. But it just sort of in this point, I was just like, like you say, it's a closed loop, and I prefer it when they do have these closed loops <clears throat> of yeah. time. Um, doesn't it doesn't fit with the time travel they had of Twentica, but you know <laughs> we're going right. to ignore that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do like this episode. I also like some of the stuff with Cat as well. Yes. Um, yes. When you know the, the the total and complete acknowledgement of his narcissism and. Uh, selfishness, you know, when he's he's like he's not gonna, like they're saying to list like, look, we can do a DNA uh, rewriting of this, so he could be a donor. And he's like, and list is like, yeah, yeah, but you know, he's not going to like, he won't do that. <laughs> like, um, and again, this goes back to a, a very early episode, right at the beginning. You know, where we sort of we had um, was it you no, know, it was a par- confidence and paranoia um, when. Uh, List is suffering from sort of space pneumonia, whether it's space flu, and um, you know he's having his hallucinations. And Rimmer runs in, and so the cat is like, "Look, Lister, the monkey, he's ill," and he's like, "Oh, that's really sad. I'm having lunch." Um, yeah, it's still that thing of you know he's still good, like you. You are my bird, but I'm not going to give you my kidney. Um, <laughs> is you know I I like all that stuff and how they trick him into it. Um, yeah, the tricking uh, is is very good. You know, the Crichton tells yeah. Cat he's made a mistake, and and it's Cat yeah. who needs the kidney. So instantly, Cat goes to uh, Lister and you know butters yeah. him up and says, "You know, I would do it for you, buddy. You know, I've thought about it. I'm going to do this for you. I know you'd do it for me." And he says, "You know, yeah. hey, go in there, take my kidney. You know, while you're in there, if you take a shine to anything else, just take that too." <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and going back to the idea of uh, the creepiness of of, of Crichton uh, doing the su- surgery and stuff on Mister uh, you know, and, and Lister, the the speed with which he sort of sedates the cat, <laughs> like that's a that's a well practiced move. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, he is it this episode where he also has the the laser scalpel that he waves around the room and and burns everything, or is that a different? Um, no, there's a different one, but yeah, like you say, look, Crichton and, and medical tech. I think that's is that, that might be crisis, but um, um, yeah, Crichton oh, yeah. and medical tech don't don't sort of combine for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I, I think this is you know we sort of we've, we sort of referred to the Simpsons and being able to access. This is one of those perfect closed episodes. Um, you know, you could sort of just jump into this one and enjoy it. Like, you know, you don't need to know a great deal of what else is going on. It just sort of works. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I do really like um, uh, Snacky. I think, you know, it's a good, oh, yeah. as you said, sort of Rob, Robbie the robot. I love the fact that Crichton, they sort of say, you know, he's, he's, Crichton sort of, he's much more advanced than me. He's hugely advanced. And Lister's like, but he's only got four buttons. <laughs> 
And yeah. <laughs> Crotin's like, exactly. As if that's sort of evidence of how efficient he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a very good episode. No, I really like that. And, you know, the other thing we haven't mentioned is is that the episode sort of starts with uh, not only is Lister drunk, but then Rimmer has this argument with the lift, you know, with the AI <laughs> running the lift. And, and and you think, okay, you know, he's threatening the lift with, uh, you know, being replaced. He says he's going to interview new lifts. And you think, yeah. okay, this is funny. This is amusing. But this is like, you know, it, it's not amazing. But then by the end, you've gone back in time. And of course, you're right. How many time travel devices do they have access to at this point? <laughs> but, you know, they go back in time and you see them kidnap this lister, you know, they and, you know, take his kidneys and, and replace him. And, and they're trying not to be seen. And then you see the same uh, events from them mm. hiding inside the lift as Rimmer is arguing with the lift, which is there. The lift can open it. And, you know, your characters are inside the lift trying to convince the lift not to open for Rimmer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's something I find kind of iteration very fun. And, and there's something very fun about seeing the same episode or the same bit done from another point of view. And you think, oh, that was that was a pretty good bit the first time through. But now it's like, you know, a pretty good bit squared. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I like the fact that it has further payoff as well. It's not just yeah. left there. Because, um, you know, Rimmer sort of says to the uh, the lift, because when he's being threatened, he's like, oh, you'll be demoted to becoming a service <laughs> lift somewhere. But in the lift, future Rimmer sort of says, well, ignore him. He's an idiot. My past self is an idiot. Um, <laughs> if you do as we do, I will get you promoted and you'll become... I think you'll get done to the officer's mess where you'll get to go up and down in that glass glass elevator shaft. And he's like, okay. And that's what sort of sells him. And then the very end of the episode is obviously, uh, it comes back to that. And he hasn't, Rimmer hasn't got round to it. And he's like, oh yeah, I must have, uh, must have slipped my mind. Um, Yeah, have some. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Clearly doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And you find out that Snacky, who is now sort of like, you know, also grown and known new thing has actually attached a new new basically a nuclear accelerator to the lift <laughs> and the the lift will get his revenge um, <laughs> yeah so I, I nice, do little, nice little nice little close to the episode yeah and you know i do like how snacky uh you know having you know insisted he's just a snack dispenser over and over you know <laughs> becomes so arrogant that he's been convinced he's an engineer yeah uh, yeah, because he changed him. I'm no longer a snap. Uh, yeah, I'm a stasis booth engineer. Um, yes. So yeah. So give and take is is you know better than anything that came out of series ten. And I, I find that sort of I enjoy Twentica. I've got issues with some of it, but I enjoyed some Sarah. But uh, give and take is definitely you know again they're sort of getting there. They're really hitting their stride with the series. Yeah. Um. So so what do you think of Officer Rimmer? Uh, not as good. I don't think that it's, mm. you know, I mean, I, I was quite taken with give and take with officer Rimmer. I like it, but not, you know, I like the bioprint device mm. as much as I do anything with Rimmer. Like the, the Rimmer stuff, you know, is amusing, but then, you know, I don't know. I mean, you have to, you have to believe 
you know, you have to believe not only that you can like wall off entire parts of the ship. Uh, I do quite like the combination of multiple rimmers into this, you know, monster. That's yeah. quite, quite fun and, and unique. But, you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, it doesn't really make sense that they respect rank anymore. This is mm. an episode that, you know, I think is mostly an inferior version of Rimmer World, despite liking that monster um, and the bioprints I love. But um, this is an episode that utterly depends on rank and the privileges mm. of rank and creating basically, you know, a class system based on rank, which, you know, why would anyone listen to him? Yeah, and the other thing is, well, like, who's built this stuff? I mean, he's still got the scutters around, and he's obviously, you know, he's hard light and stuff. And he's he has got the scutters doing things, but like, this is the kind of episode that you know you need a Holly level computer to enforce it. Otherwise, that as as they do later on with the officers' mess, they just walk in and carry right. on. <laughs> um, so. There are some. I say I do really like the the idea of the bioprint. I love the the notion that this sort of these people, you know, they're not in stasis. They just it just prints off crew when it needs them. Mm-hmm. They have to fulfill their mission and then, um, then they just you know dissolve as it were. Um, it's a little. Like I think a, that's a great idea. Like Mister Meeseeks in uh, Rick and Morty. Mm. Uh, hi. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I also quite like the fact that there's, there's a printer jam. And so, yeah. sort of, his face has been extended, sort of, like, as, a, as a bad print. Well, those special um, effects are wonderful with a with a messed up uh, commanding officer of the Nautilus. Yeah. I just think that it looks yeah. fantastic. <coughs> it is. It's really creepy at times, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's typical Rimmer. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a rimmer centric episode, but it's not a great rimmer centric episode. I mean, there's good bits in it, like you know, there's some analogies about he basically gets promoted by accident, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, that's and then sort of you know um, that you know I like that that's sort of quite good. But then it's and also his comment around to Crichton and Crichton sort of like you know, well, do you not feel that because you've got here through deceit and deception, sort of, <laughs> like, do you not feel that takes the yeah. shine off it and he's like well it's not about how you, it's about getting there not about how <laughs> you get there he's like, you know it's like last night i made you know made love to a beautiful woman did i get there by bike or bus nobody cares <laughs> it's yeah you know, that's not the point and I, I like that that feels very mm-hmm. rimmer um i agree up until that point all that stuff i find quite good and i, I like the initial things like the lift having the the um the officer's lift and the grunt's lift and that sort of thing, that all feels good. But then when it starts to escalate, as you say, the sort of the, the, all the rimmers, it feels a little, it, it starts to sort of, um, not fall apart, but it's just, it's not as good. Right. Um, no, I you know, There are a little, there are a little bits, like, I, I kind of like the rimmer quartet. Um, yeah. That's, that's quite funny. Um, and the rimmer monster at the end, you know, is very much the thing, isn't it? Sort of like a combination of body parts and stuff. <laughs> um, but again, this episode sort of seems to just end very abruptly, doesn't it? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, which so, I find a little disappointing. Yeah, uh, you know, they just, uh, you know, uh, the rimmer monster writes a to-do list, you know, as our yeah. rimmer sneaks past and they fire on the rimmer monster. Cue, you know, you don't even see it explode. 
you know, just cue uh, credits. Yeah, and I, it's one of those where I thought maybe I'd skipped it or something. I, was, I, I literally went back and I checked. I was like, oh no, that's the end of the episode. How very bizarre. Um, it's, it's it's quite a weirdly unsatisfying ending. But the monster's good, like you say. The monster's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, uh, and I, I, I say this... It's this thing of like the different versions of technology for deep space travel that seem to have been invented for, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what, why haven't they come across more things um, with people still on them? Um, but also, I really like the idea that, that uh, Lister has sold his genome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, inter- that's an interesting idea. Um, but then does it feed back into Dear Dave? You know, this right. idea of actually... I thought about you, that. The, you, you've had a whole bunch of views all over the place doing different jobs. Granted, it sounds like pretty crappy jobs, but, you know, call centre people and that sort of thing. Um, it's Yeah, I, I just found that quite an interesting idea that sort of someone could copyright his genome so they could be produced and licensed off as, as, as they needed them. Yeah, I do too. And, and, and there's a kind of like... Well, there's a kind of like existential hell of like knowing there are tens of thousands of you out there, you know, mm-hmm. living miserable lives waiting to die upon completion of your call center duties. You know, I mean, I thought yeah. that Lister being on hold through that whole episode, you know, was there a copy of himself on the other end? Um, oh, that would have been good, wouldn't it? Yes. And, and yeah. I mean, I think it would have been better to sort of have a callback there, uh, you know. I don't know. I mean, but there's a sort of like existential hell of imagining copies of yourself by the tens of thousands because, you know, it's thousand, uh, thousand companies or so have licensed this genome. Uh, yeah. There must be tens of thousands of him out there or who lived at, at one point only to die terribly. And while those aren't you, right, you shouldn't feel something about that. How do you not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting idea that they sort of they've obviously introduced. They don't really do a great deal with, mm-hmm. um, but again, it's a, it's another nice little idea that they drop into an uh, into an otherwise averageish episode. Um, yeah, I do love the you know that speech of you know sort of you know how dece- how he's gotten here out of deceit. Um, mm. You know, but you pointed out how. You know, this would need a lot of work to do to construct this, you know, beyond the scudders. You know, and I also find myself wondering, like, if you're capable of constructing, like, an officer's mess and all of these luxuries, right? Like, where does the leather furniture on the lift come from? The the officer's corridor, while amusing, um, looks like something out of the good ship on, uh, you know, Angels and Demons. uh, Mm. You know, and so, again, there's this kind of, like, trope on Red Dwarf of, like, the utopia is brightly lit, you know, and clean. Um, (laughs) Well, if you can make that, why haven't you made that already, right? You know? Yeah, why haven't, yeah. Why why not, if Rimmer is so bothered by that, why not just make the whole ship like that? Sure. Or your living quarters. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, you know, it's to be fair, like, you know, it, this is a thing again, like, usually, sort of like, you know, it, it, Rimmer usually gets a comeuppance in some way. 
of you know what he is doing obviously backfires and there is that like you know the, the bioprinter sort of like backfires but it's but his plan doesn't fail and that's what sort of is disappointing like if he hadn't if he had been patient and hadn't mm. kicked the printer or done whatever he's like his plan was working pretty well <laughs> well that's a good um, point because in in river world the whole point is he cannot live with himself right mm. Rimmer, you know, we've seen that idea again and again that Rimmer hates himself in one form yeah. or another. And, and that's one problem that I had with like the barbershop quartet. Like it's fun to see, but then I wonder like, would Rimmer be happy as part of a four Rimmer barbershop quartet singing for other people who outrank him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it gets back to sort of like, you know, what you were saying that his plan works this time. But we've already established that he can't stand himself. He's certainly yeah. not going to be happy, you know, being subordinate to himself. Uh, you know, I again, like I said, a better end. I, I like the monster. Um, and if they'd have contracted some of the stuff with uh, the captain from the Nautilus, I don't know, or maybe even included him a bit more. Um, a better ending to this, to me, would have been all those others, in some form, doing a, like mutinying. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, or at least dividing up into factions um, over specific things, like because that's more than likely what was, would have happened, as they all become so sort of backstabbing and deceitful, is sort of like you know trying to keep turning each other. Um, yeah, Civil it feels War on the Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, because um, it feels like you know the the monster's great, and it's I like that they say it always has a pen and produces multiple pens, um, but. Like I say, Lister doesn't get so Rimmer doesn't get his comeuppance in this episode, you know, like he should do really for this plan, um, it, it, which is a little unsatisfying based on what we've seen before. You know, everything from let's say from me squared to to Rimmer world, um, we know really that those those Rimmers should have done something gittish within you know by the time the episode's ended. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, but now we get on to, I think what we've both said is is, is possibly our favourite episode of this series, uh, Crisis, uh, Crichton suffering from a midlife crisis. Um, <clears throat> so what what do you like about this episode? What are your thoughts on this episode? Um, one of the things I think is it, I, I I love this episode. I mean, I think it's wonderful. Um, one of the things that I find, um that I find so interesting about this episode is that it starts with a really simple premise and mm. it kind of has a three act structure. So it starts with a premise that, you know, Crichton is uh, having a midlife crisis, right? He's, he's all, but says, you know, what's it all about Alfie? Um, mm. You know, he's even doubting Silicon heaven, uh, which is a mm. nice little callback. Um, and uh, you know, so then in act two, they go to a Nova three and they meet another Crichton. And this is part of Lister's plan to, um, you know, to uh, prove to him that he's evolved uh, through Lister's guidance. So, you know, you sort of have all the midlife crisis jokes in act one and, you know, it's a simple premise. I mean, it's so far, it's a good episode, you know, then you Mm. introduce Butler you know, this, <laughs> and the Ace Rimmer, you know, to uh, 
um, Crichton, who's unbelievably successful, unbelievably sophisticated, yeah. so much fun, uh, you know, mm. so much fun. And then Butler abruptly leaves, you know? And so at this mm-hmm. point, I'm totally sold on the episode. And then I'm like, why is Butler leaving? I want more Butler. <laughs> and then the ship, you know, has trouble and it's crashing and it lands on this, the great observation station and uh, speaks, you know, this is the idea earlier that, you know, um, Butler's people were searching for a sentient universe. And while they're on the station, uh, the universe is on hold and they speak to the universe, which is so surreal <laughs> and bizarre. Um, it, it seems like something very much out of, um, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm, uh, exactly what I thought, yeah. Uh, and I and so, I mean, and I thought this just goes, takes a left turn and another left turn. And, mm. and I like each segment better than the last. And for me to end the segment and think, why are you doing this? And then be happy and surprised <laughs> by what they're doing is such a rarity. Um, mm. So, I mean, I, I just think it's fun and surreal and, and wonderful. Uh, what are your thoughts? No, I, no, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, if anything, this felt to me like it should have been like the series end. Like this should have been the last episode. I mean, you end mm-hmm. you end a series by, you know, acknowledging a sentient universe, don't you? That's sort of a big reveal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I think this is a really good episode. I like the fact that you say this. Because, again... To acknowledge, actually, not just the idea that Crichton is having a midlife crisis, but the fact that the actors are all ageing. You know, they're all mm-hmm. in their sort of late 40s and 50s now. So, um, you know, to, to acknowledge that, actually, by having this idea of the midlife crisis is, is quite good. I think it's quite clever. And to give it to Crichton, especially, <laughs> I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, just this, this, it's the silliest thing, but the fact he, he changes his body work for a red, sort of Ferrari red... Um, body thing that sort of you know it can it can what does he say it can do sort of like sixteen miles an hour or something and just into this stuff he's got like right. his uh, his circular panel in the middle has now got sort of like lightning bits coming off it now like it's all very um it it's it's very funny to me I mean it's silly but it's very funny I, I enjoy seeing sort of um you know this and Robert Llewellyn's very good oh yeah um. But you're right, the, the introduction of Butler, and I, I like the fact that this introduces other little bits and pieces for all of them. You know, we learn that uh, Rimmer has got a list of the people that did less well than him <laughs> from, <laughs> yeah, from school. Right. Uh, and you're thinking, like, well, that's just vile, but so typical. Um, <laughs> and then you you also find out that, uh, that Lister had a midlife crisis for all of five minutes. Um, and the little touches like that are, are really good. I, I like those things. And again, like I say, when we get to meet Butler, and again, it's just gut punch after gut punch for, for Crichton. <laughs> um, you know, um, and there's, there's two sections, there's two there's two jokes that just sort of hit home is, um, you know, he sort of says about, um, they go in and he's already said about writing some music and this thing, and uh, then Crichton refers to the floor and he's sort of, well, are you using this kind of a, uh, you know, floor polish, and he's sort of like, I really don't know. It's been it's been a while, sort of thing, just to be put down, sort of like, to, and to be sort of, you know, almost cast aside of, like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And see, Crichton's face though is so well, it's just so <laughs> good. Um, 
and then like I said, the next ones is when he sort of like um, he says Crichton says he says, oh, I haven't had much time. Uh, I've been spending it on my latest novel. Mm-hmm. And he says all oh, reading. He says, he says writing, and it's just again just the reaction. It's um, <laughs> it's just it's just spot on that like, the comedy timing. It's just, it's just yeah, it's just the banter. <clears throat> Oh yeah, and whoever plays the guy, whoever plays Butler, I'm going to sort of you need to call out, but is again is is so well, uh, you know, so well cast. He does a really good yes. job, and it's um, oh okay, it's a it's a guy called Dominic Coleman who I reckon again another actor I've seen in, in a number of things. Um, uh, so yeah, he uh, he felt familiar great to me job. watching it. I thought I I have to know this guy. Uh... Mm. He's a, you know the British comedy actor I've seen in a whole number of things, um, but yeah, I I just think you know there's so many little pieces. He's so good. Um, well, and, and uh, the novel is you know I mean it's so perfect. The novel is about yeah. the lunar droid <laughs> uprising told through five aristocratic human families. You know, yeah. you know, so so war and peace. You know, so sophisticated, so upscale, <laughs> so snooty. Uh, you know, it's just one, like you said, another gut punch, the wrenching up of, of Crichton's agony. Yeah. Um, what was the other example? Uh, just the one where sort of Crichton tries to sort of have that one little thing up on him where he sort of, he knows the floor cleaning product mm. that he may, he may have used. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he just sort of dismisses it. And I'm just sort of like the look on Crichton's face, because that's clearly so important to him, um, is, yeah, is, is very good. It's very funny. Um, and then I say it goes through, doesn't it? So all, all through sort of into the ship, like he f- improves the efficiency of the ship and all this other stuff. Um, but also the fact of like it's again, it's sort of it's such daft bits when they meet the Gelfs yes. on the on the ship, and uh, he knows them again, like you know they, they're in this <laughs> sector of space, and he's, he's oh, I'm 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 so and so's god godfather, and you're just like oh my god, this is it's, it's it, a nightmare. Yeah, it's it more. It is, yeah. It's I, I feel for, like oh, it's I funny, gave them medical I... help. I saved this life, you know. It's, yeah. Like yeah. first of all, you know them. Secondly, they revere you because you are such a medical genius. You've saved their life. <laughs> and then uh, he sort of the pronunciation lessons in the guest language. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. In the fact they're all trying to do it, and sort of Crichton just looks. He just feels and clearly feels so small and so beaten wow. by this. Um, yeah. but it's 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 funny. It's so funny. But I do feel awkward. I feel incredibly uncomfortable for Crichton. Um, and th- this episode in particular, sort of like it's quite grand. I mean, the bit where they go to speak to the universe looks really good. Uh-huh. Um, but this feels like a like I would say this feels like a classic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is probably the the height of what they've done. The, you know. Of since Back to Earth, they haven't reached this good. Um, you know, this is when they sort of hit. They're really hitting something with this one. Um, oh, I agree completely. And it, and, but but this is also a Simpsons episode, right? I mean, you know, or mm. American Dad episode or whatever, where you know it just goes takes a left turn, takes another left turn. But yet, I mean, that shouldn't work, right? But it works, and mm. each each of those segments flows logically from the one before it. And even, you know, like instead of trying to have all of these different plots that somehow are woven together and they all kind of don't quite mesh here, 
you know, the universe is halfway through its life cycle. So the universe is going through a uh, midlife crisis. <laughs> and, and all of the arguments that, uh, you know, that Crichton uh, brought up to himself at the beginning are repeated to the universe and the universe is thrown into existential despair. Oh, yeah. that's so charming. You know, so, so yeah. it, it, it's woven together, but so effortlessly. Yeah, this this episode feels confident. I think in, in there's been past episodes. I think you know we said about series ten felt a little bit shaky, and I think they were trying to call back to make people feel more comfortable. I think there was a sort of a, a lack of confidence in those episodes that the charm and the confidence to the, to be able to do this kind of crazy stuff has definitely come back for this series. Uh, and I totally agree with what you said. Like the the feel of sort of the Douglas Adams and sort of um, you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I I feel in this episode. Um, you know, so much, but yeah, it's, oh, yeah. A, it's a crack, yeah, it's, a, it's a really, really strong episode, absolutely. And and you know, you mentioned in the previous episode the poor conclusion with sort of like your left, you know, the, the shooting of the four rimmer monster, yeah. Mm. So at the end of, of all of this, then you have you know, the Crichton calling Butler. You know, to <laughs> you found that space station you're looking for after you sabotage the ship. And then just as the fight, it's just a gag. But the final, you know, gut punch, the final gag is that even this has been stripped from Crichton and yeah. Butler intend- intentionally sabotaged the ship so they could all meet the universe whom he knows very well. And calls uni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, when they do that, and again, like I say, these little epilogues, um, yeah, a bit like I think with with uh, Samsara, that thing with the lift, like when they pay them off, mm-hmm. um, it, it's that sort of like it's a final flourish. It's a show of confidence in what they've done, um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's a perfect finish to to this episode um, because he's just sort of you know all the stuff I think you know we, we've sort of said before, sort of like you know his pomposity, his ability to lie, all these other things that he's so actually incredibly proud of. Right, you know he. he He's showing them here, like he wants to one up, like you know it shouldn't really matter to him. He's a bloody mechanoid, but the desire to show up and have one upmanship on Butler is so sort of um, tangible with Crichton. Like you can feel it as I've got <laughs> one thing. I've got to have. I've got to have one thing. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, no, it's excellent. Um, I, but I, I am kind of it's, it's kind of sad that this isn't the last episode of the yes. series. So I think if that was the, if that was the final episode, I think it'd have been a real excellent send off. But we end with Can of Worms, which is a cat centric episode, which you haven't really had very many of, um, and is a polymorph re- revisit. Um, and again, is is a is a bit of a mishmash, really. This episode. Yeah. Um you know, it sort of it, it introduces an interesting concept of the fact that like, you know, um if the if the cat obviously, you know, we're in an all male crew and the cat was abandoned by the cat species. So he actually technically is he a virgin? Um and this obviously episode answers that. Um but it, I don't know, it just it feels where I think you sort of got some sort of, you know, you, you start to reach some some cleverness and some sort of, um, 
I want to say sophistic, well, sophistication in some of the jokes. This one starts to feel a bit puerile and a bit sort of silly and a bit throwaway. Yeah. Um, compared to this. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, I think that I still like this episode better than others in the season. I mean, I like this episode mm. personally better than Tamanaka, for example. Uh, mm. You know, and I am you know this might be my favorite of the you know the polymorph episodes i don't know um you know i may be a little less enamored by the first one than others um and then you but i mean yeah i agree it's not great uh i i get mm. i like that it's a cat episode um mm. i like his going through pregnancy you know as the the egg uh you know, I don't really care whether he's a virgin, although it's interesting. Why does he brag about this and have all these, you know, sexual moves if there's no female around? Um, but, you know, there are uh, there are some payoffs for that. I mean, you know, you know, he's going to help them, you know, help the, the eggs. And then he just absurdly shifts back um, and kills them all. But, uh, I mean, it's fun watching Kat along the way. Um, I, I, I think maybe the best moment is Kat having been impregnated with, with, with a bunch of eggs. Is that they go to him to warn him. And, you know, he refuses to listen, uh, you know, to it. And, you know, he says that uh, she really had some moves, like shooting a pipe. <laughs> you know, and then her antennae popped out. Yeah. Say, you know, women don't have uh, egg depositors, you know. And he says, maybe they don't for you. Yeah. <laughs> I do that, recounting his sort of sexual exploits. And he does, uh, the moment he sort of says, yeah, you know, um, all you've got to do is blow on her tentacles. Uh, yeah, on her tentacles. Um, and everyone else is just sort of looking at him like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. I also like some of the other ideas in this that are quite funny, like um, you know the, the polymorph actually the polymorph babies or you know young have a a, um, a defense mechanism of, of making themselves as, as incredibly cute as possible, um, and some of the things that sort of enlisted of and you actually get to see like a hedgehog in a little mini shopping trolley and all these other things yeah. sort of like weirdly absurd like a little mini sort of like you know p- little pig and all these other things with to a, protect with a themselves. Blue bow on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, there's some good ideas in it. Um, you know, and again, sort of <clears throat> um, the idea of the polymorph sort of life cycle and stuff being explored is is quite interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah no, I also I, like uh, cat giving birth. That you know, speaking yeah. of the, the cute little polymorph, as he gives birth, and you see, like you know. Uh, a toy boat pop out from behind him, you know, and they wrestle with it and throw it down, you know. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know, chomping plastic teeth, you know. Yes. And, and then they throw it in a box and, and they all keep shifting into other objects uh, in the box. Uh, I, I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, so it, let's say it has its moments. Um, and the bit where they're hunting them down in the, in the sort of the... Um, yeah, you know, the, the cargo bays or whatever it is, um, you know, with a, with it's a reminiscent standoff. Of, yeah, to me, it was a sort of it made me think of like the thing, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. um, and they're all sort of paranoid of which one of you could be the creature. Um, 
again, it's fine. But yeah, it's 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 a weird ending because um, they get to meet other versions of themselves. So they're all in the lift, and when the lift opens, Cap steps in basically with two guns and shoots one one set of the um, of them. And the sort of the end line is sort of like, you know, how did you know which ones were us? And so a mama always knows it's babies. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but you just protected them all. So exactly. And and so it, it you know it does feel a bit odd. Um, no, I agree. It's I mean, it looks like... kind. Of, it, it looks kind of cool, and Danny John Jules is great, so I'm happy to see it. But yeah, it doesn't really work for me. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's kind of like we just want you know we've gone as far as we can go. Uh, you know, because they're because they're going down to the uh, you know, to be X-rayed, you know, to to find mm. out who's real and who's not. Um, and it just feels as if, yeah, forget that. That wouldn't be interesting. We need to wrap up the episode. We've gone as far as we can go. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this episode feels a bit more in line with probably the start of the series. Or even, or even mm-hmm. to me, sort of like you know, more akin to season ten um, than some of the stuff I've ha- we've had from season eleven. Um, so it's yeah. okay, it's fine. But you know, when you're following up, sort of like um, give and take and, and crisis, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a bit of a letdown for the end of the series. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, we're of absolutely like minds on. Uh, on this mm. and and on those two, you know, really excellent episodes. Mm. Um. Okay. So there we, we have traversed three sort of seasons this this uh, this episode. So we've done Back to Earth, uh, episodes one to three, series ten, and series eleven. Um. Any final thoughts, uh, Julian, on uh, on any of those before we yeah. sort of wrap up? Well, I mean, the only thing I'll say is that if anyone thinks that Red Dwarf stopped at, you know, season five or season six or, or eight or, or what have you, forget it. There's good stuff here. And, you know, Crisis is as good as, you know, just about any classic episode. You know, Give and mm. Take is, is on that list. Uh, season 11 has two classic episodes, which, you know... You just have to see. Uh, so I think that, you know, look, uh, shows as they go on, you know, can tend to repeat themselves and not feel quite as new. You know, here, seasons 9 and 10 kind of had to reestablish themselves. Um, but I think it is impressive for a show this far in, especially when some of these newer seasons are seen as not the real Red Dwarf by some fans, um, to be firing at this average. Um, or, or mm. more importantly, to still have amazing, wonderful episodes. What about you? No, I'd agree. It's one of those sort of like you know, watching this back. <clears throat> you know, there are the there are the classics, as we say, the ones that I sort of go back to, and I admit, sort of felt trepidation for series ten and stuff, and and you know, we have sort of, sort of feelings around, especially the sort of the second half and later part of of Back to Earth. Um, but there's still some good in these. Like you know, season ten is I think lacks a bit of confidence and a bit of flair, but it's, it's got some good bits. It makes me laugh. There's some chuckles to have there. But the average in the the, you know, the highs and the sort of the average hit rate for series eleven is so much better. Like that you know, and to save that for a show that not only is it series eleven, you know, it's not it's not eleven years. This is what we're looking at almost 
um, 30 years, you know, really. We're getting up to that sort of, like, you know, 25 to 30 years after it started, and they're still pulling some good stuff out there. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's, you know, it's it, when it hits its stride and they make it relevant to the age of the characters or the character types or whatever, like, it really works. And so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I, I look forward to sort of um, getting into the next couple of, well, the last, the last full series at this point, as of the sort of recording this show is, um, the next one is series 12. Uh, and then beyond that is the sort of the feature length episode, uh, Promised Land. So we're going to be covering those in the next uh, uh, time we get together, the next sort of episode. Um and also, what we're going to be doing is, um, for at least the sort of 12, I think it might be difficult to do Back to Earth, because it's obviously three three episodes in a very continuous story. Oh, we can do but it. For we, at least the, we'd both like number one the best, right? That's true. That yeah. would be quite an easy one, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, what we will do is we'll be sort of listing out our favourite episodes um, mm. for each of the series as well. So... Uh, well, we're going out, but we're getting to the end. This is this has been a, a, a hell of a journey, uh, and we are coming to the end soon of, of this Red Dwarf retrospective. Um, it has taken us so three million years. If, yes, it's, but yeah, in some cases it's felt like it. Um, uh, but yeah, it's been fantastic. And uh, you know, if you are enjoying this, we're coming to the end. But if you've enjoyed this, like, reach out, let us know. If you agree with our thoughts or disagree with our thoughts, of what are your favourite episodes? Uh, let us know what you think are your favourite episodes, uh, or if anything we sort of maybe have misrepresented, or you have thoughts on Back to Earth or, or the later sort of Dave series. Um, contact us through Twitter at Pod Time Space uh, and uh, have a chat. Okay. Uh, Julian, as always, it's been an absolute uh, blast talking about this. Absolutely, Um, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, But the other thing as well, just a bit of a note, you know, that last couple of episodes, we'll probably have to split them up because these are getting long. But the season two is is looming on the horizon. It's sort of there. We'll be we'll be starting on season two. So we'll reiterate all the films we've got coming up in in season two in the next episode as well. Um, It's going to be so. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some goodies on there. Uh, But thank you very much, Julian. uh, And we will catch up again soon. Awesome, Scott. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. (laughs) 